Please remain standing and pray with me. Holy Spirit of God, open now the word of life to us. Come and bring the bread of heaven, Lord, this food that nourishes your flock. Lord, I pray that you would use uh, the human uh, embodiment of a, of a preacher uh, to bring the message. I pray that you, would, that you would so fill me with your presence and with your words, Lord, that we would be hearing the very word of the Father to us this morning. And Lord, I would pray that at some point, maybe in the preaching of your word, uh, maybe, Lord, more appropriately at the table of the Lord, that the glory would fall this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, the larger context for that passage we just heard Deacon Ann read from Luke's Gospel is what scholars call the travel narrative. And we talked about that last week. Remember that from Luke chapter 9 to the triumphal entry, Jesus is on a journey. He's traveling. And that journey ends in rejection and ultimately death on the cross. In fact, the cross casts a shadow over the entire travel narrative. And we cannot fully grasp all that happens on this journey without the cross in mind. We must keep the cross in mind. The cross is the ultimate symbol of shame, humiliation, and rejection. And to be lifted high on the cross was to be subjected to the greatest depths of shame. To be lifted high on a cross was to be subjected to the greatest depths of shame. So Jesus is going from the heights of his popularity back in Luke 9, basically, and literally from the transfiguration right there beginning in that portion of scripture. We have the transfiguration where they go up on the mount and his glory is revealed to Peter, James, and John. He goes from his glory to the depths of shame on this travel narrative. So this is one long journey of downward mobility. And I want you to just get that phrase in your mind, downward mobility. He came from the glory of the Father's right hand, and taking the path of humble obedience, he will end his life on the cross of Calvary. And on the way, just like last week, we have another story about Jesus on the Sabbath day. The scene here this time is that he's been invited to the home of a Pharisee, a leader of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Pharisees. And he's not there so much as a guest, as far as we can tell. He's really there to be the object of scrutiny and of study. On one Sabbath, this is what the scripture says in Luke 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when he, uh, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. They were watching him carefully. They are going to see if Jesus gets up, into, in, uh, gets up to any more um, Sabbath shenanigans. Sabbath shenanigans like he did the last time. You know, he, he healed that woman on the Sabbath. And sure enough, just to oblige them, there's a man with dropsy there. Uh, that's edema, if you need to know what dropsy is. I did. I just thought it meant you just couldn't hold on to things real good. But I'm not kidding, y'all. It means that you're, you know, you have edema. You have, all right, you know what you're dealing with here. And so he heals that guy, and they're all watching him, and he says, you know, which one of you who has a son or an ox and he falls into a well will not immediately draw him out on the Sabbath day? And nobody can answer him. And so he's done that. But what they don't realize, it says that they were carefully watching him. Jesus was even more carefully scrutinizing them. 
And in verse 7, it says this. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. They think he's the one being examined, and actually they are the ones under scrutiny. Jesus notices that the guests are literally vying for places of honor around the table. Now, we may immediately think that this pericope reflects a shame-honor culture, and it bears very little relevance to our egalitarian, liberal, democratic society. So this narrative may have some historical or anthropological interest, but the yawning gulf of time so thoroughly separates us from this particular story. It has no bearing on us, and we might as well go on to the next passage. I wrote that down so I could say it just like that. No. No, no, brothers and sisters. Just like these guests trying to sort out their prestige and their status by where they were placed on the seating chart, we are likewise driven by the same motivations today. Whether we are first century Palestinian Jews or 21st century Americans, we all crave significance, acceptance, and admiration. And so Jesus tells a parable that really sounds at first blush just like manners or social advice more than anything spiritually. And, and it goes like this. Basically, if you choose the seat of honor, you're likely going to be asked to move to the very thing that you wanted to avoid, and that's what you're going to get, which is shame. You want to avoid shame, but if you choose the highest seat, you're going to be asked to move to a lower seat, and it will be shameful. But if you choose the place of lowest honor, you're likely to be asked to take the place of greater prestige. And then we get this punchline that shows us that this is more than just, you know, Jesus' manual of table etiquette. It says this in Luke 14, 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And by that verse, we see that this really isn't about banquet manners at all. The very reason that Jesus stops at the home of the Pharisee for that Sabbath meal is that he is on the long road of downward mobility, of humility that ends with the cross. And by taking the path of humble obedience to the Father's will, he will eventually be exalted. You see, what the dinner guests were doing was exactly the opposite of what God is doing in Christ as he heads to the cross. And we know what that is clearly because St. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. Listen to what Jesus has just said. Whoever seeks to exalt himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And now think of what Paul says in the Christ hymn of Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. That's the whole, that's the, God is imprinting once again on a broken and fallen universe the divine economy that was built into the cosmos before humanity fell into sin, that the highest is willing to become the lowest, and in so doing is exalted again. 
Jesus is willing to be humiliated on the cross because, listen, he craved the approval of God more than the approval of men. He humbled himself in obedience to his Father's will. And so we have to ask ourselves this morning, are we seeking the fleeting prestige from humans or the eternally significant prestige from God? Paul, again, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of humans or of God? Or am I seeking to please humans? If I were still seeking to please humans, I would not be a servant of Christ. If we are seeking to win approval, status, and prestige from human beings, we are not going to have the approval of God. And that's all that really matters. All that really matters is that we hear what, we, what our Lord talks about in, in Matthew chapter 25. When we hear the parable of the talents and the one who had invested the talents wisely is told, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. That is all the prestige that any of us will ever need. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. To follow Jesus Christ is to choose to take with him the path, path of downward mobility. And that's why Jesus tells his Pharisee host not to arrange his life with status in mind. Don't view people as tools to enhance your status. Don't invite people to your parties who will increase your prestige, but invite those who don't have any way to pay you back, who don't have any social capital that would give you a social advantage. Oh, do you know who? You know, it's, are, are you the A-list in par, uh, party invitee? Jesus says, don't even go to the B list. Get rid of the list. We need to hear this because just like in first century Palestine, it happens every day. We are concerned about being socially contaminated in a way that will reduce our prestige. Um, uh, This is this is dangerous because it's not in my notes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're working without a net. Uh, we, Lisa and I were once, um, a few years ago, we were attending uh, a, um, a church in a major North Carolina city, as if there are any major North Carolina cities. And I just remember the feeling that we got from that congregation is that somehow by us being there, we might get some stink on them. And they were, they were real. I, I told Lisa that after the first Sunday, I said, I don't think I'm pretty enough to go to this church. It was like Ken and Barbie, you know, were running that church. And I, uh, and, you know, I'm just a preacher. It's not a very prestigious position in our culture anymore. And uh, we just felt like we weren't supposed to be there, that we were contaminating them socially. And it happens every day. We're concerned about being socially contaminated in a way that reduces our prestige, that will put us on the outs with the social set we think we need to be a part of. And you know what? We almost never verbally, inwardly articulate this type of thinking. We we think we need to be a part of a set that will advance us socially, professionally, and we want to avoid people who don't. 
And I will have to say I have literally seen this happen here at Christ Church. I have seen people come to this church, stay for one service, look around at the diversity here, and never come back because we weren't their kind of people. In other words, they were willing to go to another church where the gospel was not proclaimed and where the scriptures were not seen as authoritative because in that church they would be around the right social set. And you're saying, are you just being paranoid? No, because some people have literally articulated this verbally without shame. You're just not our kind of people. I can't believe anybody literally would say that and not be ashamed of it. But they did. Now, others don't let this this ugly thought form in their minds. In other words, just like uh, we wouldn't let the ugly thoughts of racism form in our minds, and yet our actions and attitudes can still be racist. We would be ashamed to admit that we really are making a decision about where to worship based on status and prestige. So instead, we mask it with talk about liturgy and worship style and taste in music. Now, I think worship style and liturgy and taste in music are all important things. But sometimes they're just camouflage for the real deep down concern about prestige. I need a church that will enhance my status. My children need friends who will enhance their resume. I know that there are those right now in our church body who feel the pressure from their peers or some just who internally think that maybe we need to think about going to a different church where people are more like us. When you are tempted to think like this, let me remind you of how God sees you in that moment. The Lord Jesus Christ in glory says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Gosh, that sounds a lot like the list of people that Jesus tells that Pharisee to invite. We live in an academic community here in Winston-Salem. Uh, if you didn't know that, this weekend should uh, disabuse you of any, any uh, ignorance to that fact as all of the students came thundering back into Wake Forest. Uh, if you couldn't get down the road, you know now why, what was going on. Um, and in a community like this, sometimes there is an academic snobbery that will cripple our Christian walk. We can become or remain really spiritual pygmies who cannot grow because we dismiss, disrespect, and disregard the mature believers God has placed in our lives who haven't attained to our level of education and its attending professional and career success. And what we might not ever think or ever realize is that they may not have reached the heights of the academy not because they were not as smart as us, but because they were explicitly following God's call to invest their lives in humble service in his kingdom. As you probably know, I'm actually really involved now in finishing um, my doctoral thesis. And uh, and from now until May of next year, um, basically it's just going to be sermon preparation and doctoral thesis. And, uh, and a few other things along the line. And 
Uh, all that goes to the help of Christ Church since it's focused on the foundations course. But I pray in the name of Jesus that there is no prestige attached to that. That all it will ever be for, if God willing this old 55-year-old mind can crank it out, is going to be for the greater service of his kingdom and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Because, brothers and sisters, let me tell you what. A doctor of ministry and $2.50 will get you a coffee at Starbucks. <laughs> this often unarticulated but very real concern about status and prestige is exactly the opposite of the cross of Jesus Christ. It cannot exist in the same heart where the cross is embraced and exalted. The entire point of the cross is that Jesus purposefully identifies with, allows himself to be contaminated by his association with sinful, filthy, rebellious humanity. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the cross. Downward mobility means that we don't use people and social connections to advance our personal agenda, but to please God through service to those who have no social standing at all. Downward mobility is a willingness to bear the cross of Christ, to submit to God's will for me, even if it means being willing to be second fiddle. Somebody asked Leonard Bernstein once, what's the most difficult instrument in the orchestra to play? He said second fiddle. Even if it means being willing, to be, being willing to be an accompanist when we know we have the talent to be a solo performer. It means trusting God to place us exactly in the right position. You don't have to put yourself, listen carefully, to advance in God's kingdom. You don't put yourself forward. You don't have to put yourself forward in God's family. God is the one who raises you up and places you where you need to be. This requires great patience to let God do this, and this requires great trust in God. All right, I'm going to work without Annette again. Uh, um, we have in our uh, company this morning, we've got one of the most humble, servant-hearted men, and I'm, I'm going to mess him up, so here goes. Uh, nobody likes to hear something like this from the pulpit, um, but I'm going to say it. Uh, I got to tell you, um, David George is one of the humblest men I have ever met in my life. He has a servant's heart. He loves Jesus. I've known him for eight years, and he has never put himself forward. He has always been willing to do whatever we needed him to do and to work in the background. What many of us, most of us don't know is David has, was ordained in another uh, Christian denomination that has Anglican roots. He was ordained by a bishop in apostolic succession. And just this past week, he was received into the Diocese of Christ Our Hope. He is now a priest in the Anglican Church in North America with us. And he never once advanced his own agenda. But God raised him up for such a time as this. God's raised you up. For such a time as this, so that you might minister and serve in his kingdom, brother. Thanks be to God for you and for your example. When I grow up, I won't be just like you. <laughs>
Beloved, God will see to it that we are in exactly the right place in his plan if we will humble ourselves and trust him. Downward mobility means that we have determined to trust God with our reputation, with our careers, and with our future. It means we have decided to please God above all others. And this is absolutely critical and central to Christian maturity. J.I. Packer wrote, We grow up into Christ by growing down into lowliness. Offloading our fantasies of omnicompetence, we start trying to be trustful, obedient, dependent, patient, and willing in our relationship to God. We give up our dreams of being greatly admired for doing wonderfully well. We begin teaching ourselves unemotionally and matter-of-factly to recognize that we are not likely ever to appear or actually to be much of a success by the world's standards. We bow to events that rub our noses in the reality of our own weakness, and we look to God for strength quietly to cope. It is impossible at the same time to give the impression both that I am a great Christian and that Jesus Christ is a great master. So the Christian will practice curling up small, as it were, so that in and through him or her the Savior may show himself great. That is what I mean by growing downward. When we start to worry about our prestige, brothers and sisters, just take a look and see who God is willing to invite to his banquet. Take a look at who God is willing to be seen eating with. Humility comes a little easier for us when we come to this holy table and we take this holy meal. We're invited to the banquet table, though none of us deserve to eat here. Look around the table and see who Jesus is willing to invite to be a guest at this table. People who are poor, crippled, lame, blind. Maybe not physically. But we are poor in spirit. Crippled by our Sin, lame by our brokenness, blind to the things of God. Each one of us has been honored by Christ our host to have the best seat at the table. Each one of us gets to be in intimate fellowship with the one who is offered at this meal. And though we have treated God as an enemy, he invites us to share this feast as friends. How can we be haughty when our Lord humbled himself to enter the world through the womb of a Jewish teenage girl? He humbled himself to be scorned and ridiculed. He humbled himself to death on the cross. He even humbled himself to be placed in a borrowed grave. But he only needed it for a weekend, so I guess it's... He humbled himself and humbles himself to be present to us in bread and wine. Jesus Christ comes to us through groceries. That is scandalous, divine humility. How can we ever do anything to push ourselves forward and earn earthly pomp when the almighty God of the universe has offered himself to us us in such a humble manner? St. Francis of Assisi said, See daily he humbles himself 
as when he came from the royal throne into the womb of the virgin. Daily he comes to us in a humble form. Daily he comes down from the bosom of the Father upon the altar in the hands of the priest. At this banquet table, we all come as needy beggars. We all come hungry. We see ourselves as we truly are, outcasts and rebels who are allowed to dine at the most precious table upon the most precious food because of God's great mercy, not because we deserve it. Thank God. That he is willing to eat with the likes of me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.